Section 11 of Holidays at Roselands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bridget Gage. Holidays at Roselands by Martha Finley. Chapter 8, Part 1. No future hour can rend my heart like this, save that which breaks it. Maturin's Bertram. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Psalm 119.92 Elsie was sitting alone in her room, when there came a light tap on the door. Immediately followed, much to the little girl's surprise, by the entrance of her Aunt Adelaide, who shut and locked the door behind her, saying, I am glad you are quite alone, though indeed I suppose that is almost always the case nowadays. I see, she continued, seating herself by the side of the astonished child, that you are wondering what has brought me to visit you, to whom I have not spoken for so many weeks. But I will tell you. I come from a sincere desire to do you a kindness, Elsie. For though I don't know how to understand, nor excuse your obstinacy, and heartily approve of your father's determination to conquer you, I must say that I think he is unnecessarily harsh and severe in some of his measures. Please don't, Aunt Adelaide, Elsie interrupted, in a pleading voice. Please don't speak so of Papa to me, for you know I ought not to hear it. Pooh, nonsense, said Adelaide. It is very naughty in you to interrupt me. But as I was about to remark, I don't see any use in your being forbidden to correspond with Miss Allison, because her letters could not possibly do you any harm, but rather the contrary, for she is goodness itself. And so I have brought you a letter from her, which has just come and closed in one to me. She took it from her pocket as she spoke, and handed it to Elsie. The little girl looked longingly at it, but made no movement to take it. "'Thank you, Aunt Adelaide. You are very kind indeed,' she said, with tears in her eyes. "'And I should dearly love to read it. But I cannot touch it without Papa's permission.' "'Why, you silly child! He will never know anything about it!' exclaimed her aunt quickly. "'I shall never breathe a word to him, nor to anybody else.' and, of course, you will not tell on yourself, and if you are afraid the letter might by some mischance fall into his hands, just destroy it as soon as you have read it. Dear Aunt Adelaide, please take it away, and don't tempt me any more, for I want it so very much, I am afraid I shall take it if you do, and that would be so very wrong, said Elsie, turning away her head. I presume you are afraid to trust me. You needn't be, though, replied Adelaide, in a half-offended tone. Horace will never learn it from me, and there is no possible danger of his ever finding it out in any other way, for I shall write to Rose at once, warning her not to send you any more letters at present. I am not at all afraid to trust you, Aunt Adelaide, nor do I think there is any danger of Papa's finding it out, Elsie answered earnestly. But I should know it myself, and God would know it too, and you know he has commanded me to obey my father in everything that is not wrong, and I must obey him, no matter how hard it is. "'Well, you are a strange child,' said Adelaide, as she returned the letter to her pocket, and rose to leave the room. "'Such a compound of obedience and disobedience I don't pretend to understand.' Elsie was beginning to explain, but Adelaide stopped her, saying she had no time to listen, and hastily quitted the room. Elsie brushed away a tear, and took up her book again, for she had been engaged in preparing a lesson for the next day, when interrupted by this unexpected visit from her aunt. Adelaide went directly to her brother's door, and receiving an invitation to enter, in answer to her knock, was the next instant standing by his side, with Miss Allison's letter in her hand. 
"'I've come, Horace,' she said, in a lively tone, "'to seek from you a reward of virtue in a certain little friend of mine. "'And because you alone can bestow it, I come to you on her behalf, "'even at the expense of having to confess a sin of my own.' "'Well, take a seat, won't you?' he said good-humouredly, "'laying down his book and handing her a chair. "'And then speak out at once, and tell me what you mean by all this nonsense.' First, for my own confession, then,' she answered laughingly, accepting the offered seat. "'I received a letter this morning, from my friend, Rose Allison, enclosing one to your little Elsie.' He began to listen with close attention, while a slight frown gathered on his brow. "'Now, Horace,' his sister went on, "'though I approve in the main of your management of that child, which, by the way, I presume, is not of the least consequence to you, yet I must say I have thought it right hard you should deprive her of Rose's letters.' So I carried this one, and offered it to her, assuring her that you should never know anything about it. But what do you think? The little goose actually refused to touch it, without Papa's permission. She must obey him, she said, no matter how hard it was, whenever he did not bid her do anything wrong. And now, Horace, she concluded, I want you to give me the pleasure of carrying this letter to her, with your permission to read it. I'm sure she deserves it. Perhaps so, but I'm sure you don't, Adelaide. "'after tampering with the child's conscience in that manner. "'You may send her to me, though, if you will,' he said, "'holding out his hand for the letter. "'But are you quite sure that she really wanted to see it, "'and felt assured that she might do so without my knowledge?' "'Perfectly certain of it,' replied his sister confidently. "'They chatted for a few minutes longer, "'Adelaide praising Elsie, "'and persuading him to treat her with more indulgence. "'And he, much pleased with this proof of her dutifulness, "'half promising to do so.' and then Adelaide went back to her room, dispatching a servant on her way to tell Elsie that her papa desired to see her immediately. Elsie received the message with profound alarm. For not dreaming of the true cause, her fears at once suggested that he probably intended putting his late threat into execution. She spent one moment in earnest prayer for strength to bear her trial, and then hastened, pale and trembling, to his presence. How great, then, was her surprise to see him as she entered— hold out his hand with a smile, saying, in the kindest tone, "'Come here to me, my daughter.' She obeyed, gazing wonderingly into his face. He drew her to him, lifted her to his knee, folded her in his arms, and kissed her tenderly. He had not bestowed such a loving caress upon her, nor indeed ever kissed her at all, excepting on the evening after Chloe's departure, since that unhappy scene in his sick-room. And Elsie, scarcely able to believe she was awake, and not dreaming, hid her face on his breast, and wept for joy. "'Your aunt has been here telling me what passed between you this afternoon,' said he, repeating his caress. "'And I am much pleased with this proof of your obedience. And as a reward, I will give you permission, not only to read the letter she offered you, but also the one I retained. And I will allow you to write Miss Allison once, an answer to them, the letter passing through my hands. I have also promised, at your aunt's solicitation, to remove some of the restrictions I have placed upon you, and I now give you the same liberty to go about the house and grounds which you formerly enjoyed. Your books and toys shall also be returned to you, and you may take your meals with the family whenever you choose. Thank you, Papa, you are very kind, replied the little girl, but her heart sank, for she understood from his words that she was not restored to favor, as she had for a moment fondly imagined. Neither spoke again for some moments. Each felt that this delightful reunion, for it was delightful to both, this enjoyment of the interchange of mutual affection, could not last. 
Silent caresses, mingled with sobs and tears on Elsie's part, passed between them. And at length Mr. Dinsmore said, "'Elsie, my daughter, I hope you are now ready to make the confession and promises I require.' "'Oh, Papa, dear Papa,' she said, looking up into his face with the tears streaming down her own. "'Have I not been punished enough for that? And can you not just punish me whenever I disobey you, without requiring any promise?' "'Stubborn yet, Elsie,' he answered with a frown. "'No, as I have told you before, my word is as the law of the Medes and Persians, which altered not. I have required the confession and promise, and you must make them.' He set her down, but she lingered a moment. "'Once more, Elsie, I ask you,' he said, "'will you obey?' She shook her head. She could not speak. "'Then go,' said her father. "'I have given you the last caress I ever shall, until you submit.' He put the letters into her hand as he spoke, and motioned her to be gone. And Elsie fled away to her own room, to throw herself upon the bed, and weep and groan in intense mental anguish. She cared not for the letters now. They lay neglected on the floor, where they had fallen unheeded from her hand. The gloom on her pathway seemed all the darker for that bright but momentary gleam of sunshine. So dark was the cloud that overshadowed her, that for the time she seemed to have lost all hope, and to be able to think of nothing but the apparent impossibility of ever regaining her place in her father's heart. His last words rang in her ears. "'Oh, Papa, Papa, my own Papa,' she sobbed, "'will you never love me again, never kiss me again, or call me pet names? Oh, how can I bear it? How can I ever live without your love?' Her nerves, already weakened by months of mental suffering, could hardly bear the strain, and when Fanny came into the room, an hour or two later, she was quite frightened to find her young charge lying on the bed, holding her head with both hands and groaning, and speechless with pain. "'What's de matter, darlin?' she asked, but Elsie only answered with a moan. Aunt Fanny, in great alarm, hastened to Mr. Dinsmore's room, and startled him with the exclamation, "'Oh, Massa Horace, make haste for come to de child. She's gwine to die for sartin, if you don't do something mighty quick.' "'Why, what ails her, Fanny?' he asked, following the servant with all speed. "'Dunno, Massa, but I's sure she's very ill,' was Fanny's reply, as she opened the door of Elsie's room, and stepped back to allow her master to pass in first. One glance at Elsie's face was enough to convince him that there was some ground for her attendant's alarm. It was ghastly with its deadly pallor and the dark circles round the eyes, and wore an expression of intense pain.' He proceeded at once to apply remedies, and remained beside her until they had so far taken effect that she was able to speak, and looked quite like herself again. "'Elsie,' he said in a grave, firm tone, as he placed her more comfortably on her pillow, "'this attack has been brought on by violent crying. You must not indulge yourself in that way again.' "'I could not help it, Papa,' she replied, lifting her pleading eyes to his face. "'You must help it in future, Elsie,' he said sternly. Tears sprang to her eyes, but she struggled to keep them back. He turned to leave her, but she caught his hand, and looked so beseechingly in his face, that he stopped, and asked in a softened tone, "'What is it, my daughter?' "'Oh, Papa,' she murmured, in low, tremulous accents, "'love me a little.' "'I do love you, Elsie,' he replied gravely, and almost sadly, as he bent over her, and laid his hand upon her forehead." I love you only too well, else I should have sent my stubborn little daughter away from me, long ere this. Then, Papa, kiss me, just once, dear Papa, she pleaded, raising her tearful eyes to his face. 
No, Elsie, not once until you are entirely submissive. This state of things is as painful to me as it is to you, my daughter, but I cannot yield my authority, and I hope you will soon see that it is best for you to give up your self-will. So saying, he turned away and left her alone, alone with that weary homesickness of the heart, and the tears dropping silently down upon her pillow. Horace Dinsmore went back to his own room, where he spent the next half-hour, in pacing rapidly to and fro, with folded arms and contracted brow. "'Strange,' he muttered, "'that she is so hard to conquer. I never imagined that she could be so stubborn. One thing is certain,' he added, heaving a deep sigh. "'We must separate for a time, or I shall be in danger of yielding. For it is no easy matter to resist her tearful pleadings, backed as they are by the yearning affection of my own heart. How I love the perverse little thing!' Truly she has wound herself around my very heart-strings. But I must get these absurd notions out of her head, or I shall never have any comfort with her. And if I yield now, I may as well just give that up entirely. Besides, I have said it, and I will have her to understand that my word is law. And with another heavy sigh, he threw himself upon the sofa, where he lay in deep thought for some moments. Then, suddenly springing up, he rang the bell for his servant. "'John,' he said, as the man appeared in answer to his summons, "'I shall leave for the north to-morrow morning. "'See that my trunk is packed, and everything in readiness. "'You are to go with me, of course.' "'Yes, Massa, I'll tend to it,' replied John, bowing, "'and retiring with a grin of satisfaction on his face. "'Berry glad,' he chuckled to himself, "'as he hurried away to tell the news in the kitchen. "'Berry glad dat young Massa's got tired "'ob dis dull old place at last. "'Wonder if little Miss Elsie gwine along.' Elsie rose the next morning, feeling very weak, and looking pale and sad, and not caring to avail herself of her father's permission to join the family. She took her breakfast in her own room, as usual. She was on her way to the schoolroom soon afterwards. When seeing her papa's man carrying out his trunk, she stopped and inquired in a tone of alarm, "'Why, John, is papa going away?' "'Yes, Miss Elsie, but ain't you gwine long? I supposed you was.' "'No, John,' she answered faintly, leaning against the wall for support. "'But where is Papa going?' "'Up north, Miss Elsie. Dunno no more about it. Better ask Massa Horace hisself,' replied the servant, looking compassionately at her pale face and eyes brimful of tears. Mr. Dinsmore himself appeared at this moment, and Elsie, starting forward with clasped hands and the tears running down her cheeks, looked piteously up into his face, exclaiming, "'Oh, Papa, dear, are you going away and without me?' Without replying, he took her by the hand, and, turning back into his room again, shut the door, sat down, and lifted her to his knee. His face was very pale, and sad, too, but withal wore an expression of firm determination. Elsie laid her head on his shoulder, and sobbed out her tears and entreaties, that he would not leave her. "'It depends entirely upon yourself, Elsie,' he said presently. "'I gave you warning for some time since.' that I would not keep a rebellious child in my sight. And while you continue such, either you or I must be banished from home, and I prefer to exile myself rather than you. But a submissive child I will not leave. It is not yet too late. You have only to yield to my requirements, and I will stay at home, or delay my journey for a few days, and take you with me. But if you prefer separation from me to giving up your own self-will, you have no one to blame but yourself. He waited a moment, then said, once more I ask you, Elsie, will you obey me? Oh, Papa, always, if— Hush, he said sternly, you know that will not do. 
and setting her down, he rose to go. But she clung to him with desperate energy. Oh, Papa, she sobbed, when will you come back? That depends upon you, Elsie, he said, whenever my little daughter writes to me the words I have so vainly endeavored to induce her to speak. That very day, if possible, I will start for home. He laid his hand on the handle of the door as he spoke. But clinging to him, and looking up beseechingly into his face, she pleaded, in piteous tones, amid her bitter sobs and tears, "'Papa, dear, dear Papa, kiss me once before you go. Just once, Papa. Perhaps you may never come back. Perhaps I may die. Oh, Papa, Papa, will you go away without kissing me? Me, your own little daughter, that you used to love so dearly? Oh, Papa, my heart will break.' His own eyes filled with tears, and he stooped as if to give her the coveted caress, but hastily drawing back again, said, with much of his accustomed sternness, "'No, Elsie, I cannot break my word, and if you are determined to break your own heart and mine by your stubbornness, on your own head be the consequences.' And putting her forcibly aside, he opened the door and went out, while with a cry of despair she sank half-fainting upon the floor. End of chapter 8, part 1